0: City FC Podcast, talking Whitecaps, Canada, Europe, and all the big stories across the world of football. Hello everyone, welcome to episode 25. Already 25 of the Terminal City FC podcast. I'm your host, Josh Ray, as per usual, joined by Nathan Durick, And we're always part of the Area 51 Sports Network. Nathan, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing pretty good. It's actually a pretty big day uh, for or pretty big week for Canadian soccer.
0: Yeah, it's a really big week for Canadian soccer. But before we get to that, let's talk about our local club, the Whitecaps, of course. We saw the first win of the season, first home win of the season, first goal for Ryan Raposo in MLS, his first professional goal, actually. So it was a night of firsts as the Whitecaps beat Sporting Kansas City 1-0.
1: Yeah, you know what? It was a game that they uh, played uh, quite well in. Uh, uh, It was probably the Whitecaps' best performance so far of the season. And to do that in front of uh, almost 17,000 fans, uh, they fought with conviction. I mean, this was the team that took them out of the playoffs last year. So there was a little bit of an added incentive there as well.
0: Yeah, and from the get-go, they really played well. They started off hungry. They were really pressuring the Kansas City midfield and defenders to make mistakes. There were some good chances. You got Sebastian Berhalter looked pretty good as the defensive midfielder alongside Russell Tybert. And Russell Tybert actually made some forward passes and he was noticeable in a good way for once, which is what we want to see more of. And the back line, particularly Tristan Blackman, who was named to the MLS team of the week and rank over Solinovich. They did a good job of making smart plays inside the box and clearing out as quickly as possible. So there was a lot of lots to like from the white caps win over sporting Kansas city.
1: I agree with everything you say there. I think, uh, I mean, yeah, Ryan Raposo got the goal. So I think he kind of gets like the man of the match for what we saw, but bear halter is quietly, solidifying himself a starting position, right? I think he's really, really beginning to be fighting with uh, Leonard Owusu for that starting uh, position beside uh, Russell Tybert. Right now, it doesn't look like Tybert's going anywhere. He's going to be uh, Sartini's man, you know, through thick and thin. When Kyle Alexander comes uh, back into form, you know what? We'll we'll readdress that and see what goes on. But Bear Halter kind of standing in front of the, that back, uh, back three uh, center backs did... A really really good job he uh and then not just every but everyone the amount of closing down and pressure any KC had the ball there was a white cap there standing right in front of them forcing an error so they were and in doing that we were able to force a lot of turnovers in their one-on-ones so i i mean it was a great game it was uh um, it, it allowed for a more exciting a more high-paced game and uh, yeah, I think uh, one win. It was a great way to uh, kick off uh, going into our very first Cascadia uh, match uh, this week against Portland.
0: Yeah, and so far, by far the best performance from the Whitecaps this season. And in the first half, Sporting Kansas City only had like w- had one decent chance, and that was a shot that went way wide. Well, not way wide; it went wide. And there's another chance where. Ranko Vasilinovic ran back and made a tackle, which prevented a clear breakaway.
1: Yes, that's right. And
0: I um, really like how they bent but not broke in the second half. Sporting Kansas City woke up in the second half, but Saul and the black line they continued to do their job, and then Raposo who. Just worked really hard, especially in the box. He was working really hard to keep the ball in and trying to cross. Speaking of crosses, Diber Caicedo's crosses were pretty they much were on point. And good for Raposo to get his first MLS goal in his first start of the season. His mom was in the building. She flew out. She drove from Hamilton to Toronto. And then he picked her up from the Abbotsford Airport, which she mentioned. And it was good to see him score and pick up that loose ball. It At first, it looked like Lucas Cavallini had an assist, but it was eventually taken away. But nonetheless, it was a pretty good win for the Whitecaps.
1: I think we should also mention with Raposo is he was playing as a wing back in uh, Sartini's uh, formation that he normally goes with, and this is a position that he has never played before. He started training in the position in the off se- or uh, in the in the preseason because uh, of knowing what uh, Sartini was going to want. He's more of a traditional winger, and that doesn't normally happen. So he's added had to add that defensive element to his game a little bit more in tracking back to help back three when it's necessary. Um, The thing is, with Sartini's wingers, you've got to be like the most fit people out there because you're going box to box. You're you're basically going byline to byline, if anything. And I think that was proven with his goal because when he pounced on the ball, he was, I don't know, maybe a yard or two uh, outside of the net. And he just happened to be the right man on the spot. So it's I think it's to his benefit that he is adapting. He's making himself adaptable to new positions on the field. And he's making himself now a person that Sartini is going to have to consider when he's picking the starting eleven.
0: And Sartini spoke about how Raposo was a versatile player, and Raposo said he played wing back in a game for the first time in his life, which is very surprising because he looked pretty good in that role. But Raposo has worked hard in training according to Sartini and he's kind of felt left out for not starting, but he's worked hard to get a start and Sartini likes that versatility he has. And of course, this is just the beginning for him. He could, he has to continue to work hard to get more starts under Sartini in the near future. I think uh, it was interesting
1: you talked about kind of feeling left out uh, of not being picked so far this season. Uh, Raposo actually said something interesting in a press conference after the game where he said, no matter who is picked in whatever position on the field, usually the first person to congratulate you is that other person that plays in your position. So even though there is competition for these spots on the pitch, it's your brothers that are backing you, that are you know, behind you in being successful. And he said the first person to come up to him and congratulate him was, uh, was uh, Caicedo, wasn't it?
0: No, it was Dahomey. Dahomey, Dahomey, thank you. Start. I'm
1: sorry. It was Dahomey who, uh, you know, found a, a spot on the bench, right? Normally, yeah, then, that is a position that Dahomey would be filling. But with Raposa going there, you know, it's uh, it's uh, his uh, counterpart that's uh, that's congratulating him.
0: Yeah, and Raposa says he does the same thing when Dahomey scores a goal, for Absolutely. example. And we haven't talked about Ryan Gould and Brian White. They didn't play the whole... Match as expected because Sartini literally said that they wouldn't play ninety minutes. But they both look decent in their returns from injury, even though not hundred percent. Gall there had a couple headers, had um, had some good chances in the first half. White had a couple decent chances too, but they look decent.
1: Yep, yeah, they're coming back from injury. They're going to be a bit rusty. This is also the first few minutes that they've actually played together. Right. Yeah. When White came on for his half hour in a, in a previous match, it was also uh, with a gulb coming off only a few minutes later. So they never really had a lot of time to play together. This is their first time this season seeing them on the pitch together. So, you know, we got to give them a little bit of a chance to kind of get that magic back as to what they had in the, the latter half of last season. It'll, it will get there. Right. And then they're also right. working on their own personal injuries, getting their fitness back up to form. So but it was a, a positive show all around. I don't think we could really pick any one of the whitecaps that didn't give it their all and that didn't play in a positive manner. And I, I think they got their benefits for it. So uh, it was a, a well done win. And now we move on.
0: Yeah. So the Portland Timbers are up next. As Nathan mentioned, first Cascadia match of the season. These are always exciting. And the first one's going to be at BC Place this Saturday. You know, the crowd's going to be into it. Maybe some Portland fans will be flying over the border and Cascadia matches are always fun
1: yeah it would be nice to uh, start getting uh, someone here not only because it's a Cascadia match and you know we have the Cascadia Cup that we obviously think about something that the white caps have won a number of times but also this is a Western conference match and this is a Western conference match with a team that we will likely be fighting for those last few playoff spots for Portland is one that kind of mixes it up in the middle of the table kind of like us. And, um, you know, anytime you can grab some points, especially at home, I mean, these are the, these are the matches you kind of have to win so that you can afford when you're playing, like, the really, really top sides later on, when you might eke out only a draw or, or, you know, unfortunately, you might lose.
0: These are the ones you have to win. Exactly. If they want to get back into the playoffs, Sartini spoke about this, they have to win these games at home, which are vital because you got the fans in front of you and they, they help provide a boost. If you get these wins at home, you can worry about. You don't have to worry so much about getting wins away from home. But wins, especially against the Western Conference, are really important if you want to get into the playoff picture. So I'm looking at Portland right now. They only have one win this season, and that was against Austin FC, which who is a team that is expected to be in the cellar of the Western Conference. They lost their last game. 3-1 to LA Galaxy in a game where there were red cards on both sides. Yeah. And that's actually Portland's second straight game where they got someone sent off. Before that, they had someone got sent off against Orlando City. And on the second game, they had someone sent off against LAFC. So three times they already had someone sent off.
1: Not only that, but Portland has been very leaky at the back. They have 11 goals scored against them in only uh, six matches. That's the yeah. most number of goals. That's actually tied for the most number of goals against out of any team in the Western Conference. And uh, I'm willing to say it. I uh, know there's a few more in the, in the East, but in the Western Conference. So, I mean, there's opportunities for the White Caps to do some damage, right? If they're not holding up their back line, if they're having problems in that, one or two goals that's uh definitely an opportunity here
0: yeah they they've been a struggling side to start the season as mentioned with only one win and the white caps are only like two points behind them in the yeah, absolutely in the table so you can get the three points it's good to cl- it's a big opportunity to climb back into the playoff picture and of course this is the Portland Timbers you can't take them lightly their last year's MLS Cup finalists, Diego Chara, Felipe Mora are still good players. Even they are really leaky in the back, and I don't know who's suspended off the top of my head, but um, the Whitecaps should not take a t- take this Portland team lightly, because historically shows that they. Um, have the upper hand on the White Caps ever since they both came into the league in 2011. And um, you gotta really watch out for guys like Chara and Mora. Like two guys who've been there like forever with Portland. Yeah, Chara's
1: been there almost, it feels like a decade almost.
0: Yeah. And they've always seemed to turn up against the White Caps. And Again, you can't take this team lightly, even though they struggled. But there is a big opportunity to get three points against a team like this, especially since they're a Cascadia Cup rival.
1: Taking a look at the Timbers' uh, last game against LA Galaxy, where they lost 2-0, it was Pablo Benila who uh, was red-carded. It was a straight red card for Portland, so he will definitely be missing this match coming up.
0: Yeah, that's... So they won't be without him while the Whitecaps only had one red card. And that was in the first game against Columbus. That was Jake Nierwinski. So no suspensions for them. And I can't wait to be in the building for the Cascadia clash between Vancouver and Portland. And hope here's hoping the Whitecaps can build off their performance against Sporting KC and translate that into another win against the Timbers.
1: Absolutely. Uh, other uh, interesting Whitecaps news that we should cover is a uh, former midfielder for the Whitecaps, Huang Inboom, who uh, only played for the Whitecaps for a very short period of time as a, as a young D, uh, DP. He's now suspended his contract with uh, Russian side FC Ruben Kazan. This was one of the uh, conditions that uh, FIFA was allowing players to do who played in the Russian premiership, he has now since uh, canceled his contract, or I should say suspended his contract. That suspension of contract only lasts until the end of this season, which is in the summer. Uh, he can't. He's unfortunately not, doesn't look like he's going to be signing with any other team right now. Uh, I don't know if he's just going to sit out and in the summer and then wait to see what happens depending on what happens between Russia and Ukraine and whether or not the allowance for suspension is able to continue or if they're allowed to cancel their contracts outright. But this is a player who had a decent spell with, uh, with Vancouver. It was a bit of a surprise, a bit of a coup when uh, Vancouver got him in the first place. Uh, And since he's moved to Russia, he's actually just kind of moved from strength to strength. This is a player who would find a very comfortable home in another, you know, uh, another Russian side, whether it's a, uh, a middle table Bundesliga team or, or elsewhere. But uh, yeah, Wang and boom, has a uh, suspended his contract with uh, FC Ruby Kazan.
0: Yeah. In- interesting. He didn't play for the White Cats for that long. And I believe he left in 2020. That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't there last season. And in- he went off to Russia and now has suspended his contract with Ruben Kazan. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I don't remember him as like he was decent in his time with the the White Caps. And I'm just looking it up here. And yeah, this happened. Yesterday, it was a short-term contract anyway. And it says here that he is signed with FC Seoul. Ah, so he's going back
1: to South Korea right now. Yeah,
0: back to his homeland in South Korea. So I guess it's the right move to him because of everything that's happening with the Russia-Ukraine situation.
1: Now, even that, going back with FC Seoul, that will be on a short-term as well. That can only go until this summer. Yeah. So we're only looking at, a, you know, two, three months here. Uh, and then after that, it'll be rem- remain to be seen what actually happens. Excuse me. Uh, not only to, uh, to Wang and Boom, but to all the other players from the Russian Premier League who have canceled or uh, suspended contracts.
0: Yeah. So we'll see what happens with him as he plays for FC Seoul. And could he stay there? Could he... Go back to Russia. Could he play elsewhere? Heck, could he even come back to MLS? You never know.
1: Oh, if he came back to MLS, that would be... uh, uh, With how much he has grown, man, that would be uh, definitely uh, a second-round coup. i take it. Yeah, he was... Having a a player like that in the midfield, I would take
0: it. 51 interceptions in 2019. Fourth among MLS midfielders. He could help the Whitecaps in terms of midfield depth.
1: Yeah. But the one thing is, is you put him back in, uh, in the Whitecaps lineup. Players like Bearhalter, players like uh, Baldissimo, yeah. they're not going to get a, a sniff. They're not going to get uh, near the amount of playing time that they're hoping.
0: <laughs> That's true. I don't, them, I don't see them bringing him back. We have a DP uh, spot open. I'll, I'll say that.
1: But Yeah, they do. I don't see this actually happening. I, I see him going to Europe.
0: Yeah, or staying in with FC Seoul. Yeah. So moving on, League One BC, which we talked about a lot on this show, has been rebranded along with League One Ontario and Premier League de Soccer de Quebec under League One Canada.
1: Yeah, this is brand new. So, I mean, we're talking about just this being a big week for soccer. If we start locally, yeah, BC League One, which is just getting set to start its inaugural season right now, Uh, is now rebranding with the other two kind of division three level leagues in the country, in Ontario and Quebec, underneath uh, a unified umbrella. Let's put it that way. So it's now called league one Canada with each of these three leagues still running themselves as they always have been men's and women's uh, semi-professional leagues in Canada. What this does though, is it seems like it's the beginning of a, a permanent establishment of a soccer pyramid in Canada. So, The Canadian Premier League is the majority stakeholder within this League One Canada, which basically allows these individual provincial leagues to become developmental for players that are moving up and giving them a pathway towards becoming a professional, which is uh, something that this country has been really lacking for quite a while. Uh, There is talk about whether or not this might bring in some sort of version of promotion and relegation in Canada. Uh, to to let people know, uh, this has already something that has been agreed in League One Ontario. As of 2024, uh, League One Ontario is going to break up into three different leagues and have promotion and relegation between those three. I don't think right now there's no plans for it to go anywhere beyond that. It's only within the province. But part of the goal of this is to have Canadian-wide tournaments, the possibility of a Canadian-wide league, and all habits kind of as almost like a second-level league underneath the CPL and just above the, the individual uh, provincial leagues. So, I mean, this is big news, and we should, re- I think it, it goes without, or it should go with saying is that this is for men's
0: and women's women, right? Yeah.
1: So this is developing uh, soccer across the spectrum. Uh, getting closer to home uh, with League One BC, they're also actually undergoing their expansion Process so they've actually had uh, applications. It sounds like about between five and six different uh, communities around the province to add to the already seven teams that they do have. Uh, it sounds like at least one is on Vancouver Island, but further north of the island. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is this is huge when it comes to the developmental side of the game and giving giving youth uh the opportunity to play at high levels and a pathway possibly to you know making a living at this right making a living at the game you love
0: yeah for men and the women who especially the women who deserve pay when it comes into professional soccer so this is this is interesting so yeah this is this is this so, hasn't
1: existed before
0: so they're basically unifying these leagues and the goal is to have an actual canadian wide league with all these the
1: canadian wide is kind of like the the affirmative goal right like that's what they want in the future right now it's it's kind of considered like a partnership where they they share amongst the three leagues right now kind of what works what doesn't work what can we do better are there ways that we can collaborate what can we do between our three leagues that might be where we can play each other whether right now it's a separate tournament uh, that is separate to the Canadian Championship, things like that. There are also plans to help the possibility of uh, uh, two more provincial leagues. Right now, there's the hope of trying to help them. One that that would cover the Prairie provinces and one that would cover the Atlantic provinces. Right now, those are pipe dreams. There's no one really talking with any seriousness, but the ultimate goal for this, uh, this partnership is to grow the partnership into these other areas of Canada as well.
0: Yeah. Good for the game of soccer. Good for the growth. And we, we all know League one bc is going to start up next month, actually. Yeah.
1: They're coming up right away and, here.
0: And they're already talking about expansion.
1: Yeah. The expansion process, uh, or I, I guess the submission for applications has already closed. So, and we have to remember that I think these uh, these uh, potential communities that have uh, put in their application, a lot of these were already interested in this inaugural season. It's just that they don't have the grassroots and the different uh, setups existing, so they had to start from a much more difficult level than these other areas that are part of uh, BC League One right now, which already had the infrastructure in place.
0: Yeah, and. It's a League One Canada national alliance that will help unify and elevate the sport of soccer at the Pro-Am level in this great country. So obviously, it's the three big provinces, BC, Ontario, Quebec. And I can't wait to see where this goes and see how these leagues do in their first season. And hopefully, this leads to one big Pro-Am Canadian soccer league for both men and the women
1: and the thing is is you know for anyone out there listening if you are interested in grassroots soccer and watching games check out league one bc you've got five teams in the lower mainland right that you can you know become that you can adopt them as your team if you're on the island you have uh, a team in victoria if you're in the interior you have a team in uh in Kelowna or sorry uh Kelowna or Camelot, so I always get those two uh, both
0: they're both in the interior
1: yeah, only one of them as a team though, so I'll have to check. Yeah, I believe out.
0: it's Kelowna because they're the biggest city.
1: Yeah, but I mean, you can adopt the team basically starting in its very first season, and I mean, tickets tickets are cheap, right? I mean, this yeah. is it, this is a, a division three league. Let's you know, let's not be you know bolster it up more than what it actually is. But this is good quality soccer. They've got men's and women's teams in every single uh, club in this league. Check it out; it's worth it.
0: Yeah, you should check it out. If you love grassroots soccer, like want to see some more, like want an alternative from the pros to see, maybe you can see some players, hopefully developing. If you're, if you're into like the developments and all that, if you're an aspiring soccer writer or media member or whatever, there's opportunity for you. Yep. To cover these, these games. I know journalists like, Alexandre Gagueuzzik or AGR, for short. He covers pretty much the entire country when it terms of so- when it comes to soccer. So I'm sure he'll be on top of this. but I
1: think he actually already wrote an article on one of the teams, the, the TSS Rovers who uh, play uh, in the or, uh, sorry in uh, the lower mainlands uh, because they have a very unique ownership model. They actually allowed people to buy into the club as part owners. So I think he already has an article out on yeah, uh, I think that team in particular, as well as the league in general.
0: Yeah. So if you want to be like him, then this league one BC league, one Canada stuff, good opportunity to get your foot into the door. So speaking of Canada, let's talk about the national team. So we had the world cup draw almost a week ago. and. Canada drew Group F with Belgium, Morocco, and Croatia.
1: Yeah, uh, you know what? This is a this is a hard group. This is a hard group from Canada. There, it, it is a potential group. Belgium is the second-ranked team in the world right now, and they that actually just changed for about the, yeah. the past year, for almost two years. They have been ranked number one.
0: Yeah, so, but Brazil just took them over.
1: Brazil just took them over, and Brazil has been, you know, they're considered one of the favorites in the World Cup of this, of this year. But Belgium is a team that is hungry to win something. Throughout that entire time, when they were ranked number one, they didn't win anything. They were just ranked number one because of their play. They have nothing to show for it right now. They also have a bit of an aging side that is going to want to win something before a few of those players retire after the, the World Cup is done. It's the same story with Croatia. Croatia is a decent side. You got to remember, in the last two World Cups, they finished either in at least at the quarterfinal stage, right? Yeah. Croatia is not a team to sniff at.
0: Yeah, they're getting older, but, and this is their last hurrah. But remember, the, Croatia was the World Cup finalists. Yeah. And, and
1: it's Luka Modric, who was a player of the tournament.
0: Yeah, man. They're, they're more than just Modric, though. You can't forget about Kovacic, Perisic. And all those other guys, a lot of them end with itch.
1: Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> welcome to that part of the world.
0: Yeah. And and we gotta talk about Belgium. Like they're in their golden generation, but it's we're closer to the end than the beginning, and they're hungry for a trophy because they haven't won anything. Like they're still one of the best teams in the world. Kevin De Bruyne is our is probably the best midfielder in soccer. And of course, you can't forget about Thibaut Courtois, who is one of the best goalies in the world. The Hazard brothers, the Thorgan is the better one over the past few years. Of course, Lukaku always turns it up yeah. when he plays for Belgium. And he is Belgium's all-time leading goal scorer. So, And then
1: not only that, but uh, Morocco as well. I mean, Morocco hasn't won anything in the past little while either. But when it comes to African Cup of Nations, when it comes to uh, doing well in Africa, they've done they've done a job there too. I think they're actually the second highest ranked African side in the world.
0: I think they are. And yeah. So I mean, I, I could agree when people say, Oh, it's Morocco. They don't really have any star players. They're not much to be excited about. True. But you can't forget about uh, a Hakimi, probably the best yeah. right back in the world. Guys. Yeah. I guy can do it all, but sure. Other than Hakimi, there isn't a lot to be excited about. It would be more if they, if, Hakim Ziyech was part of the squad, but he's, no, but he's pretty much retired from Morocco. So you can't take them lightly either. So it's a tough group for Canada, but it's not impossible for them to qualify for the knockout round because John it's Herdman has all this belief, like we can prove the doubters wrong mentality in the Canadian national team squad. And they're, they're a team of vets, And youngsters. So I believe Canada will, I don't expect them to be blown out every game. They will go down fighting.
1: I think one thing that that strikes me really interesting in this group is the way the groups were drawn is you also know the scheduling of the games. And Canada's very first game is Belgium. Belgium. And that, to me, is very important because Belgium comes into this tournament having to prove something. Canada doesn't, right? Canada doesn't have to prove anything. And I think that right now that works to their benefit because if they can get underneath Belgium's skin in that first game and even eke out a a 0-0 or a 1-1 draw, that changes the nature of this group immensely because Canada is able to go into all of these games without that pressure. They can play free. And I think, I don't know, I think it could lead to the potential to surprise a few teams if they're able to to, to uh, play as we know that they have the ability to do so. So I don't know. I I think it's going to be a tough group. I don't think it is impossible for yeah, them I to agree.
0: Yeah. Yeah, just the point, I guess Belgium would be massive for Canada because Belgium has high expectations. Well, Canada is – well, I wouldn't say they're happy to be there, but they want to. they want to do more than just – be there. So getting a point would be absolutely huge. And then Croatia is the team up next. Yeah. It's and, kind of funny.
1: Could you take a look, uh, you know, on social media or at other journalists and everyone's talking about the state of play, like what happens on the pitch. But I think when it comes to the world cup and with the teams that are in this group is you have to take a look at the mental side as well. And I think that mental side is going to significantly influence outcomes of matches.
0: Yeah, for sure. So it's a tough group, but it's not impossible for Canada. And there's a rumor going around that a South American nation wants to play Canada in a World Cup tune-up match.
1: Yeah, every before the World Cup happens, there's always usually a couple of friendlies that happen to, to kind of get you ready for uh, for the World Cup. Usually, but the thing is, is usually you try to play friendlies against different nations that kind of match up to the nations you're going to be playing in your group stage we have no south american side in our group stage we have no, no one that plays with that mentality with that ethos it makes no sense to in my mind i mean hey it would great uh, can you imagine uh, the audience draw that playing in argentina or brazil or you know any of those sides would bring but i don't think it does anything to benefit
0: our team yeah, I'd rather benefit them playing a European side or an African side yeah. because. In my are- mind,
1: and tell me what you think, Josh, in my mind, the best matchup for a two to would be England.
0: Exactly. You know why? Because England has the US in there. Exactly.
1: Group. And we have Belgium.
0: And it works out for both teams. Canada yeah, can get works ready for, for a teams. European side while England can get ready for a CONCACAF side.
1: And the thing is, is I wonder how much uh, John Herdman will maybe uh, be able to use some of his uh, networks, maybe with his old Sunderland guys and through the English system that way. That maybe Stephen, you know, something can happen.
0: Yeah. Like not even just England, like any European side or even an African side. Yeah. Uh, like like Senegal, for example.
1: Senegal would be a huge one. I mean, you've got to remember these, uh, this is the uh, African Cup of Nations winners.
0: Yeah. That would be huge too. But England would be ideal because, again, European, um, Matchups to prepare, and it benefits both sides. Both it, sides, it yeah. benefits
1: both sides, and that's why I think, in my mind, if they can make it happen. That's that's the way to go.
0: Like it's a, it's the first, it's a big, it's the first big test for Canada. Like England, one of the best sides in the world, though they underachieve. And again, so as we mentioned with Belgium, there's not a lot of expectations for Canada going into the World Cup, but for England, of course, it has to. They have to go far. Yeah, so, England's
1: going to want at least a quarter or a semifinal.
0: Yeah, I mean, they're Euro runner-ups. So they want to make sure it comes home. And it'll be good. also good for audience draws because, we you know, there are a lot of fans here, fans in the Premier League, and has English players. So it would be nice. Could you imagine England versus Canada at a busy place?
1: <laughs> I can't imagine it at a busy place. I
0: can imagine it in Toronto. <laughs> Toronto, because Canada's soccer hates the West Coast. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I mean, usually you're going to have a couple of matches. It's going to be a very tight turnaround. You take a look at uh, the schedule in Europe. They basically go from one league or one weekend playing for the domestic side to the next weekend in the World Cup. So it's going to be a very quick turnaround. It's going to be very tough to fit a lot of these matches. And they're going to happen in the middle of actual seasons. But uh, yeah, in my mind, that's the team to make it with. But this is not the only uh, tournament that Canada has going on right now. The, uh, the draw for the CONCACAF League of Nations just happened. Canada was uh, in pot one alongside the United States, Mexico, and Costa Rica. Canada has been drawn in Group C with uh, Honduras and Curaçao. Uh, these uh, Again, it's not the easiest draw in the world. Curaçao is coming off being uh, the Caribbean Championship uh, right now, winning that. Honduras didn't fare all that well in the World Cup qualifiers. In fact, they fared very poorly, finishing uh, dead last in, uh, in the octagonal. But they are one of the bigger, one of the t- those top eight nations when we think of. And Honduras has given Canada before. We all remember
0: 8-1. Yep. So we mentioned it last week, kind of like a tune-up mini-tournament before the world cup and yeah honduras beat canada eight one or whenever it was like five six years ago and I, remember. I don't remember exact the exact year but it was sometime in the last decade and yeah it'll be interesting to see canada play against curacao and honduras in this CONCACAF league of nations
1: yeah this is a tournament that actually will play out over a long period of time uh, when you go through all the different levels, and we have to remember that when it comes to the League of Nations, it's separated into a, a League of Nations A, B, and C, I believe. And this, this covers all uh, countries within. So like we're talking about like in League C, you've got like St. Kitts and Nevis, you've got uh, Martinique and much smaller sides, right? So there is opportunity for te- for countries that are in B or C, to win their respective leagues and get promoted up. There's yeah. also the possibility that Canada, if we don't fare so well, we could get relegated down to uh, the, the B league, right? So, yeah, I mean, there, there is stuff up there. There, you know, there is uh, some prestige up for grabs.
0: Yep, there's stuff up for grabs. And this isn't just some Mickey Mouse tournament. There's promotion and relegation up for grabs.
1: Yep.
0: And Alfonso Davies, to no one's surprise, has won the... 2021 CONCACAF Men's Player of the Year. So another award for Mr. Speedster. And he's training again with Bayern Munich. So he'll be back for their second leg against Villarreal. No surprise there. Davies has been one of the best players in the world. And has done really well for club and for country. So good for him. Yeah, and it's good to there see was a back little training. bit
1: of surprise uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, Canadians. Uh, Crystal Dunn of the United States won uh, Best uh, Player of the Year for the, the female game. A lot of people were supply, surprised really? that a Canadian wasn't uh, picked because of winning the Olympics and, you know, everything. But uh, yeah, congratulations to Crystal Dunn as well. The other one that was a surprise to me is when they picked the uh, the, the starting uh, or the, the top starting 11. Yeah. His, uh, even though Davies won Best he's Player, not on there. he's not on the starting 11.
0: A lot of I didn't, right? I didn't see the whole thing. Yeah. It's like a mixture of Americans and the Mexicans.
1: It kind of makes me feel like this might be a bit of a fanboat thing, but yeah.
0: Probably is. And of course, the women's national team, they're in Vancouver training. And Friday, their games at BC Place. And Monday, they're in Langford.
1: Yeah, I mean get tickets if you can. If you can't, uh, it will be broadcast on one soccer uh streaming. Um but it's not on
0: cable TV, like you know, not
1: on cable TV. There was the no wrong. Agreement. There was no agreement for one soccer to sell those rights. So they own the but rights, they, do- they get to do what they want with them.
0: Yeah, but they can do it easily for the men. Why not for the women? It makes no sense.
1: It does, especially when you fair. look at the men's one where uh one soccer was able to keep the, uh, all their broadcasting people for the distribution rights to go to uh, the, the larger broadcast channels. It would have been nice, but yeah, it's not happening. Yeah, but
0: it's, that's not fair at all. Because yeah. the women's team also are pretty good, and people want to see them. I do. Yep.
1: I would like to think that this will happen, because you do remember uh, when it came to the women's game, I think the broadcast rights were allowed there was a tournament earlier this year. It was an inaugural tournament where the, uh, the women's matches were shown on, uh, on cable. Uh, I can't remember, but I know we were playing with England and whatnot. It was a tournament in England. But uh, this one, I don't know if it's because they're friendlies and it's not part of a, an actual competition. I don't know what the reasoning is behind it. But unfortunately, if you do want to watch it and you don't have your butt in the stadium, one soccer is all you get.
0: Yeah, it's a streaming service. Yeah, and it's going to be
1: that way for quite a while. Because
0: yeah, yeah, Sportsnet will right. show the Leafs, the Jays, of the Raptors on all their channels.
1: Yeah. See, the thing is, is when one soccer bought the rights, they bought the rights not only to the men's and the women's national games, they also bought the rights to the Canadian Premier League. And yeah. part of that deal for the Premier League was to help grow it. So they bought the rights for a decade, right? Which is unheard of in buying rights for, for sports. Usually you buy them in blocks of a few years. Being that this is for a decade, I mean, I hate to say it, but expect this what or what is happening with these two games to continue for another number of years. It's going to be up to one soccer, whether or not they want to sell the rights. I find it kind of funny that all the pressures can put on the cable companies to say, basically ask them, why are you not showing it? They can't do anything about it. If the people that own it aren't going to sell it to them, their hands are tied.
0: Yeah. Too bad for that. But yeah. So it sucks,
1: but let's. That is business, I guess.
0: Yeah, fortunately, that's how business works. So we'll take a short break and we'll move over to the European side of the football world. Stick around. Want to start your own podcast about sports or whatever? Great. Unsure how to get started? No problem. That's what Buzzsprout is for. The Avid Discussers podcast uses Buzzsprout. It's quick and easy, and myself and thousands of other podcasters around the world use Buzzsprout. You'll get an awesome-looking website, plus your show will be out on Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon, and all other platforms. You'll also get ways to promote the show, detailed analytics and stats, and a whole lot more. But that's not all. If you signed up with a paid plan for Buzzsprout, you'll get a $20 Amazon gift card, and it would also help support this show. It's easy. Just follow the link in the show notes. Buzzsprout makes podcasting fun. And easy, and start your own today. Hey, do you want to win some cash? Do you love sports betting? Then Bet99 is the place for you. It is a Canadian online betting website and app that allows you to bet on football matches or matches of any other sport. It also has an online casino. Bet99 is the official betting sponsor for the Terminal City FC podcast and the Area 51 Sports Network. Go to the Area 51 website. Click betting and sign up for a welcome offer of a 100% match up to your initial deposit of $600, as well as boosted odds for the teams that you care about the most. Bet99.com is Canada's premier place for sports betting and online casino games. Must be 19 plus to play, and please play responsibly. Okay, welcome back. onto the European side. So, rare loss for Chelsea. 4 one to Brentford at Stamford Bridge. What happened? I guess it was part. the lineup wasn't very good from Tuchel. It was very questionable. Uh, The players, many of them were on international duty. Kind of looked fatigued. But Rudiger did score an absolute screamer for the first goal of the game. But that cancelled out quickly because Brentford scored four straight. And Christian Eriksson just like in the old days when he was with Tottenham, lit up Chelsea.
1: Oh, we got to bring that boy home.
0: Yeah, it's but it's kinda, all like club allegiances aside. It's good to see him scoring and getting assists again. And even though he's lighting up Chelsea like the old days, it's good to see him do that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a, a weird pun, but it's nice to see him almost have a new lease on life.
0: Yep. He's lo- starting to look like his old self again. And Timo Werner, oh my goodness, like, didn't win anything, didn't really have a lot of touches, he was just running around, like, he didn't really do a whole lot, so I think that's the nail in the coffin in his Chelsea career, he's pretty, we mentioned this last week, he's pretty much leaving, I, I would like to think, at the end of the season, and he played on the left wing. See, Haver-
1: when it comes to Timo Werner, is he? Um, I mean, he he's trying, but yeah, he's he, just cutting a frustrating picture. Like he just, he's not, he's not free out there. He's not fluid. He's not used how he's how he plays or what he was used to back in Germany. It just, it was, it was just a bad work. matchup. And... It was a bad matchup. He just, he doesn't fit Chelsea.
0: Yeah, like well, he plays on the wing in Leipzig, but it doesn't work with Chelsea and Tuchel's system. And of course, he's more suited to be the number number nine, the upfront guy. But Kai Havertz has been doing so well there, so Tuchel didn't decide didn't decide to change things around. And the midfield just didn't have it, other than Angola, Conte, Mason Mount, and Ruben Loftus Cheek weren't good. Loftus Cheek kept losing the balls, kept turning it over. And four at the back, Tuchel went with a 4-3-3 because he plays the three at the back, but it didn't work out other than Rudiger's goal. The defending wasn't very good. Marcus Alonso is still a Chelsea player. And, I mean, we have been saying this for years that he should be leaving at the end of the season, but somehow he'll probably find a way to stay even though Ben Chilwell is healthy. Like, I uh, we really miss Ben Chilwell and what he does on the left side because Marcus Alonso is just an agent of chaos out there. He's pretty much, <laughs> he's pretty much the Chelsea version of Tyler Myers, except he's shorter. And, agent
1: of chaos. I like that.
0: Yeah. So, but he doesn't have a long neck either. So he's just the agent of chaos for Chelsea. Poor defending. He can do well on like free kicks and he can score occasionally, but he's not a very good defender. I'm sorry. He just he just isn't and there was the build up the slow build up was way too slow and brentford picked picked us apart in the second half especially from two goals from janelt and again good to see arison light light chelsea up and brentford are actually a good side recently promoted they're like this year's version of leeds from last year
1: yeah, Brantford's not doing too bad. They're sitting in, in uh, 14th right now. Um, f- uh, three wins in the last five. Yeah. They're, they're a decent side. They Yeah, I think comparing them to Leeds from last year is uh, a good equivalent. Uh, but, I mean, they should be safe from relegation. There are spots anywhere between kind of that 9 to 16 that are up to grabs. So there's still a lot of movement possible for them yeah
0: and back to Chelsea just a very poor performance like fatigue the lineup was kind of questionable and Tuchel said the atmosphere at Stamford Bridge wasn't good it was like a friendly atmosphere and he wants a better atmosphere for today their Champions League quarterfinal first leg at Stamford Bridge well maybe like I get what he's trying to say like the atmosphere wasn't the best but maybe he should put out a better lineup and luckily he took accountability for that too and i'm just hoping this is just a bump in the road instead of what could be hopefully not a the start of a slump and yeah the attack wasn't very good too slow defending was poor four at the back doesn't work in tuchel's system Maybe go back to the three at the back with the two wing backs works better because Tuchel is always known for tinkering with his lineup and changing things around. I expect a different formation today. I'd rather just see Lukaku start with Havertz at this point. Because Lukaku had some he had he tried with his like 20th minutes on to on against Brentford. And since he spent a lot of time on the bench recently, we might as well play him since he's getting paid so much. So, might as well bench Werner and play Lukaku instead. Though not, not on the wing, but keep Havertz as the false nine if he continues to work. So, last time Chelsea gave up four-plus goals to a lower side after the international brick was in 2021, or I guess I should say last year. You know what else happened last year? Yeah, that famous night in Porto. I'm not saying, just saying. I was going to say, are you calling that? Maybe, maybe not, because CFC Dubois added again with his coincidence threads, and that was just added. And the last time did that coincidence thread was last year comparing of what happened in 2012 to 2021. So, I'm manifesting it because Dubois is leading the charge.
1: You go ahead and do that.
0: (laughs) And I should also mention that the Ricketts protest happened before the game. And the Ricketts spoke with the rain group or whoever. And I don't know what came out of the talks, but they're heading back to Chicago for the Cubs opener. And I just hope they were l- the board and everybody, the Rain Group, was aware or listened to the fan protest because, uh, again, we can't have chel- these guys manage handling Chelsea. So uh, hopefully the talks amounted to nothing between the Rain Group and the Ricketts Family. but on the other hand tottenham had a pretty good day against newcastle
1: yeah they went down early but they came back with uh, five unanswered goals afterwards uh, they tied it up before the half with a, a great header from uh, ben davies and then went on to score uh, four more in the second half um you know what this it was a it was a professional game it was a great game it was uh it was kind of a weird game i mean tottenham It it seemed like almost as if they weren't even playing with a back line. Anytime they were attacking inside the 18-yard box, there was at least two of their three center backs inside that box along with the rest of uh, their players. They were playing so high that you can't even tell me where their back line was. But the thing is, is Newcastle had nothing against it. They couldn't get balls over top of them. I feel like everyone now that Cristiano or uh, Cristiano R- Romero is back and healthy and playing, I feel like no one wants to play him. Anytime time he had the ball, Newcastle ran away from him. Oh he yeah, he so strong on the ball, and even in in uh, the tackles that he gives, people fear him. It, I look at Cristiano Romero. I mean, he was he was a defender of the year in the Italian Serie uh, uh, last year. I feel like he is like Tottenham's version of a Virgil van Dyke, right? Right. Nobody wants to play him. He doesn't have the height, but he has that that imposing mentality where if he decides you are not getting around him, I'm sorry, you're not getting around him. It's just the way it is. Now, I mean, it can lead to, you know, he can be a very aggressive player. He can uh, sometimes take cards, but I think when you're – playing in that sort of uh, high line, that fast paced movement where you might have to run down balls that get behind you, you know, you're, you have to be willing to sometimes every now and then take a card. But the thing is, is he is, he's able to mitigate a lot of that with his speed right now. He is the guy that is marshalling that back line. I think uh, Tottenham is, have found a center back that they can keep now for a number of years. And it's not just them, uh, their wing backs played phenomenally as well, both getting goals in Emerson Royal and uh, Matt Doherty. Doherty played a little bit differently. He played on the left side in order to make room for uh, Royal. Sergio Reguilon, his, uh, he's not getting the love that he had uh, normally been getting under a uh, previous managers, which does make me wonder if he might be heading back to Real Madrid with that buyback clause that they have that expires at the end of this season. I think they have finally found their guy in Matt Doherty they know finally how to use them since they got them from Wolves. It surprises me that it took um, a manager this long to figure it out. He was a wing back with Wolves, trying to fit him, who is obviously a very attack-minded defender into a very pragmatic system, like say under Jose Mourinho or uh, uh, Nuno, didn't work. He has that freedom now, and he is starting not only to get goals, but the, his crossing ability, Man, he has become kind of like that playmaker from the, from the back end for Tottenham. It's been great. And it was really, really good to see Emerson Royale get a goal. That was his first goal for Tottenham. His first goal, I think, in a number of years. This is a guy who's had a bit of a hard time with Tottenham. He's the yeah. exact opposite of Doherty. He is a defensive-minded fullback. He is a traditional fullback trying to fit into a wingback role now. He's trying to find that offensive spark in his game. And we finally saw it. It might not stick there. It might take a little bit of time for it to become consistent. But I guess Newcastle, we saw that he has the capability of doing it. Uh, it's kind of funny. You look at this game, you look at five goals for Tottenham. Not one of them had Harry Kane's name on it.
0: And he was a playmaker.
1: Yeah. But, I mean, his ability to, to be a playmaker, his ability to uh, just set up forward passes. I mean, he has become the guy that you want in your midfield almost, right? Like his ability to drop back and just know that his other attack-minded uh, teammates are going to move up to Phyllis' position, whether it's Kuvalevsky, whether it's Sun uh, Yung-min, uh, whether it's uh, Lucas Mora coming off the bench or any of these players, he knows they will be there. And his passing ability is just... He discovered it under Mourinho. And became a a very good player, not only in his goals, but in his assists. But he has continued to be able to do that now under multiple managers. And I think that's only the benefits to the level of striker he is. And I mean, I think I will not say that he is the best striker in the world. I'm not going to go there. But he is in the conversation to be one of the best strikers. Uh, You still have your Robert Lewandowski. You have, uh, you know, other players that could potentially you know fit that bill so i'm not gonna you know show my bias but i mean he is definitely up there in the conversation uh and then last but not least uh steven Bergwine, who had a great international break with netherlands uh an absolute phenomenal break with netherlands comes off the bench and scores again uh almost on one of his first or second touches uh, on the pitch he did speak when he was with the netherlands about his frustration at not getting a lot of game time with tottenham So it does remain to be seen whether or not he will be with Tottenham come the summer, but as fulfilling a a job as a super sub, man, no one does it better right now. I mean, I don't know. He, he can end games when you need that last goal more better than any other player that's out there right now. And um, yeah, they end up with not only a five, one win, which is great, but you know, you just talked about what happened with Chelsea. We saw Arsenal losing 3-0 to Crystal Palace yesterday. Every other team around Spurs lost. So it allows Spurs to catapult into fourth spot. They're now sitting in that final Champions League spot for next season. I think right now they are tied on points with Arsenal, but they have a, a better goal difference. And right now, I mean, right now Tottenham's progression is up they've won uh four of their last five in the league they they've taken they've got more goals than any other team in the premier league since the the beginning of january they have more points they've gotten more points than any other team in the league since january other than man city and liverpool they're everything is is looking up for them right now and I don't know. It's kind of funny because you look at uh, Antonio Conte in January and how he was kind of angry that Tottenham only brought in two players, but they lost four players. Those two players they brought in, in you know, Benticor and Kuvalevsky have been a revelation. They have slotted immediately into the starting 11. You cannot take them out. You can't. They're, I mean, right now they're, they're the best in their positions that they play. And, I mean, they got good, good players. There's already talk right now of uh, Tottenham using their buyout or their buyout clause for Kulefsky. Because technically right now he's only on loan. But they have a buyout clause for 25 million pounds, which is a lot cheaper than uh, his actual clause, which I think is sitting at like 33 or 34. So, I mean, you come to the first day of the window, that clause is gone. They're buying him out outright. Because I think he is really, really enjoying his time in North London. The other thing uh, with Tottenham is you take a look at the remaining games that they have in the season. This coming weekend, they play Austin Villa. After that, they've got Brighton, Brentford, Leicester. Brighton and Leicester are both home games. I mean, it makes it a little bit easier. They have Liverpool away. That's tough. Yep. But then after oh, that, we've got, we've got Arsenal at home, Burnley at home, Norwich away. Eight games. There is the possibility for a lot of Ws in this list. I think Arsenal away that could be a rare loss in this. That is just going to be a tough game. Um, uh, Austin Villa has always kind of been a, a bit of a bit of a difficult team for, for Spurs. It's kind of tough. But all these other games are absolute possible or, or very very possible wins. I think right now Tottenham is kind of solidified, or they're moving towards solidifying that uh that fourth spot for the Champions League. I think it's all going to come down to that home game against Arsenal. And winner of that is going to be winner take all.
0: Yeah, that's going to be a big game. Tottenham sitting fourth in the in the Premier League table, oh, tied with Arsenal, but leading by three goals, leading by five on goal differential. So, top four race is going to be very interesting and Tottenham's only 5 points behind Chelsea.
1: Yeah, I I you know what? Uh, earlier this month, I think Tottenham was behind Chelsea by I think it was almost like nine or ten points. Yeah. Chelsea has hiccuped.
0: Yeah. I don't know. That's... I
1: think it might be too late for for uh, for Tottenham to really feasibly think of a top three finish. But I mean, if, if Chelsea as well is like if they, you know they've got problems in figuring out who owns the club, they got fan descent, they got players yeah, who don't know where they fit. I mean, I don't know.
0: I don't know. Stranger things have happened. Tuchel has been through a lot in the past year since taking taking over. Like yeah. he's got this, he took over from Lampard, the Super League, won some trophies, the Lukaku situation, the sanctions, ownerships, lo, he's been through a lot. Now with divorce too.
1: Yeah. It's so uh at least yeah, talked I, I mean it, it like I said anything is possible. I mean we never thought that Man City was going to hit up as much as they have. They're only a point ahead of Liverpool now. That's it.
0: That's it. Yep. Yeah. And um good to see. At least Tottenham's um full backs actually scored, and their back line can actually provide some goals. Oh well, we had Rudiger, you know, but
1: out of those five goals, three were from defense were from the back line because Ben Davies had the first one that tied up the game. Yep.
0: Yeah. So the league the Premier League to allow five subs next season after a vote by the by the league and its clubs. They tried to implement this before, but it's never passed due to the lower clubs not wanting it. Lower yeah, clubs, the lower
1: the so-called lower clubs. They they see this as the the bigger clubs, the Man Cities, the Man United's, the Liverpools, as being able to, because they have more depth, they're able to afford more depth in the players that they feel it gives them a bigger advantage in having more players that they want on their bench and more players available to come on fresh on the pitch um, because of uh, injuries and, you know, you know, players, you know, collapsing on the pitch because of heart conditions and COVID and travel and increased game schedules. It has finally been passed. So yeah. like other, you know, leagues around the world that have been moving to this model over the last couple of years, the premier league will have five players uh, available as subs. Now it's five players available through three substitution windows. So you can only still make three or you're only allowed to put subs on the pitch three times, but you're allowed up yeah. to five players. So it means that at some, some of your sub windows, you have to do multiple subs,
0: multiple subs. Yeah. I, I like this. I do too. Because you know, fatigue, especially nowadays, uh, travel, and of course injuries happen so there's more chance and it's more chance to give players playing time
1: it's more chance to give players playing time plus the fitness requirements of the this modern game is a lot more than what the game was even say 10 years ago uh, there's a there's a bigger fitness demand of players players are you know always you know getting more and more Fit based on you know training nutrition sports science and all that um, the thing is is the body can only take so much and it needs a break so I think by allowing teams to do this it allows players to be healthier
0: yeah and to be more rested in terms of like travel and all that
1: yeah so, so yeah that will be coming up next year
0: yeah next season uh, PSG president Nasser El-Kilafi He wants the Champions League final to feel like the Super Bowl. His proposals include a new mini tournament to replace the UEFA Super Cup, a separate opening night celebration for the first match of the group stage, and an opening ceremony that includes previous season's winners playing a big club.
1: I don't get this guy. This guy, I mean, PSG has never been in the final. What is he talking about? Change tournament.
0: Yeah, this guy's not very well liked among the PSG fans either. So, well, the I one like, thing
1: I don't get is he wants an opening ceremony that includes the previous season's winner playing. Yeah, I don't get the big that club. either. Isn't that the Super Cup?
0: That's, That's basically literally the, the Super Cup. I mean, whoever wins the Europa League is a big club. Yeah. Anyway, so why if it ain't broke, don't fix it.
1: And I mean, they're they're going to be tinkering with the Champions League anyway because they're still trying to fend off. Uh, Juventus, Real Madrid, and Barcelona who are trying to keep the last gasp of this European Super League alive. They're still trying to fight that in the court of arbitration for sport, saying that UEFA has an unfair monopoly, yada, yada, yada. But I just, I don't know. This This seems to be, I mean, we talked about other things not being Mickey Mouse. This, this is Mickey Mouse.
0: Like the Champions League, I like I like how unique it is compared to the Super Bowl. There's no like halftime show, national anthem. Well, right, I don't understand why that.
1: you want it to be like the Super, like the Super Bowl. You are a European
0: competition. Why are you trying? Why to are you trying to be American? America? And right? the Champions League final gets more viewers than the Super Bowl annually. Apparently, oh, huge.
1: Yeah, I mean the 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 footprint of soccer. Is much much larger than the footprint of North American America. football. Yeah, football. not to say North American football isn't growing. I mean, they are they talk about putting a team in London all the time, but it's not there.
0: Yeah, and the real football is the world's game. <laughs> the and real football, huh? league just blows the Super Bowl out of the water. What next? The the Sarah wants a wants uh, some pop groups to do a halftime show. Uh, do. Do they want Champions League commercials? Well, they kind of do with that with like
1: well, the thing
0: I don't get is like
1: people already make fun of the World Cup draw, the Euro draw, and all the different draws that are turned into like gala events and all the different musical numbers and whatnot. People make fun of that. And now you want to take what what you do in that, what doesn't work in that, and add it to the games. I'm sorry, but all you're doing is you're giving me an excuse to go make a sandwich or go to the bathroom.
0: Yeah, and the champions, the Champions League opening, the finals for the opening ceremonies feels so Americanized now. There's like, a popular music artists nowadays, and before and, it used to like celebrate the host city and like the history of the game, and ha- yeah. would have like an opera singer or a violinist playing the anthem. That's the way. That's that's how it should be. That's how it feel. it, it that's the the feeling of that tournament,
1: right? Like it it was the unique elements. Or one of the unique elements of that tournament and the, the more and more you dilute that I, I don't know i just i don't think it's necessary i don't think you gain anything by it i don't think yeah, what, what do you gain in terms of audience
0: like again if you ain't broke don't fix it yeah and i hope um this year we actually see like an actual artist performing the champions league song should bring andrea but back to do it i love his rendition yeah that was something else eh. Or two cellos, like their rendition before the 2018 final. Yeah. Masterful. That's that's the beauty of the Champions League.
1: Yeah. So to wrap this all up, I guess uh, we wouldn't be uh, a soccer podcast if we didn't talk about one of the other stories that happened this week, and that yeah. is Hope Solo. Back in yeah. the
0: news. American star, goalkeeper. Um, of course, she's won a lot with the U.S. women's national team. Charged with driving while impaired. Resisting a public officer and misdemeanor child abuse. Apparently she was found passed out in a vehicle in a Walmart parking lot. She even had been passed out there for an hour with her two-year-old twins in the, in the car.
1: Yeah. Um, I, the I mean, hell? again, all of this right now is based off what witnesses have said. Uh, charges have been laid. There hasn't been anything else beyond that. She's been released pending a trial. But, uh, yeah, it, it, she's come up pretty vehemently against these charges, um, saying that they're going to fight them. But, uh, I mean, this isn't the first time that Hope Solo has been in the news when it comes to this area of behavior. So, I don't, I don't really know what, what to think. I mean, this was in her generation. She was the best goalkeeper of her generation. And, unfortunately… The-
0: Legacy is tarnished.
1: We're 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 not going to remember her for her her on field performance. It's everything that's happened since then. It's her 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 tapes when it comes to criticizing her former teammates. When it comes to you know trying to run for president of CONCACAF, but then you know bad mouthing everyone that was running against her. It's uh, you know attacking her or allegedly, I should say, allegedly attacking her nephew and having uh you know child abuse charges from could stem from that. It's this. Mm-hmm. I mean it's when we think of Hope Solo, unfortunately, we think of all of this other stuff. And then what happened and her her glory on the pitch is secondary.
0: Yeah, like both poor kids though must have been traumatizing to see that. Yeah. And- Again, don't drink and drive. Like you're putting people's lives at risk. And in front of our kids, too. This is just awful.
1: Yeah. So yeah, like I said, oh, we don't know kind of what is going to happen from this. There has been, I mean, charge have been laid. There's been no no trial. That's to be coming in the next, you know, months ahead. But uh yeah, yeah, hope solo. Back in the news. Uh misdemeanor trial. Of course Uh, driving well-impaired and resisting a public officer. Welcome back to the news.
0: Yeah. Too bad we'll remember her like this instead of what she did on the pitch. Yeah. So, before we wrap up, I made a mistake earlier. Davies is starting today against Villarreal.
1: Yes, he is. I just saw that.
0: And Chelsea actually go back to the 3-4-3. And Pulisic starts. Havertz is still the false nine. Jorginho starts. Rhys James starts. He's vital to the wingback position. Werner and Lukaku are on the bench. So I assume one of them will come on against Real Madrid. And hope you enjoyed this week's episode. It was another jam-packed one because the world of soccer always has something to talk about. And I'm on Twitter at JoshuaRain91. Nathan is at Enduric. You can follow the podcast at TerminalCityFC. And check out the Facebook and Instagram pages. So hope it, leave us a rating. Tell us what we're doing right. Tell us what we're doing wrong. We've got some matches to catch up. We'll, catch, we'll be providing you coverage of the Portland game next week. So check out some of our articles for Area 51 too. Oh, and if you're like a soccer company or any other company or whatever, uh, try emailing us. I don't, I don't get notifications from Gmail that often. I don't know why. But email us at TerminalCityFCPodcastGmail.com or send us one of us a DM on Twitter. Actually, it would be better if you do that there. So if you want to like sponsor us or whatever, that'd be nice. So also hope you enjoyed this week's episode and Nathan, any final thoughts?
1: Uh, not uh, off the top of my head. We've got uh, Davies that's going to be uh, uh, suiting up here right away for Bayern Munich. We've got the uh, women's national team on Friday. We've got the white caps on the weekend. Get ready for some soccer.
0: Yeah. Lots of soccer over the past, over the next few weeks, actually, and over, and throughout the year, it's a year round game. So that concludes this week's episode. Peace out.